0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Real View podcast. I'm your host, Allison Wiley. Joining me today is our special guest. He is no stranger to the Realtor community and to our Ohio Realtor community, David Gorenberg. He is a Pennsylvania and New Jersey licensed attorney. He's consulted on 1031 exchanges since 1992 and has been a qualified intermediary since 2000. David's written and spoken on 1031 exchange transactions in all property solutions and related issues he presents CE classes he is going to be speaking at our convention upcoming this September David that's quite the introduction did i miss anything and welcome on to the show
1: Allison thank you very much i don't i don't think my mother could have said anything
0: <laughs> Number 1 son maybe I, i'll i'll add that in there too right <laughs> Well, welcome onto to the show. We're super excited to, to have you here today to talk to us about 1031 Exchanges. I'm really excited to be having this as the future of the episode today because I don't think we've ever talked about this on the podcast before. And um, as we near close to 100 episodes on the show, it's about time that we talk about this because um, it is such an important part of the real estate industry. I know that we've seen it in the news lately, especially last year. There was a lot um, in the press about these exchanges. So we're going to dive Into this world, Uh, but before we get started on that, I have to ask our signature question, David. That I ask all of our guests who join us on the podcast, which is since the podcast is called The Real View, what is the best view that you've ever seen?
1: I had to think about this, and I've seen the sun rise over the Atlantic Ocean, I've seen it set over the Pacific, I've flown over the Grand Canyon, I've seen the Niagara Falls, I've walked the stations of the cross in Jerusalem. And I've also witnessed the births of our three amazing children. But the most beautiful view that I've ever seen was when the door opened and I saw my now wife walk into our wedding circle.
0: Oh my gosh, how lucky is she that that is your answer? I love that. No,
1: how lucky am I that she puts up with me?
0: (laughs) Did you cry? I have to know.
1: (laughs) Don't recall, that was a long time ago. (laughs)
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I'm sure I'm sure she was a beautiful bride and congratulations on a long and successful marriage. That's awesome. I love to hear that. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk a little bit too about you. How did you get started and what you do? Tell us a little bit about what you do now and how you became this 1031 exchange expert that you are.
1: So I was practicing law in the more traditional sense, doing a lot of business and and personal real estate transactions buyers sellers landlords and tenants and i woke up one day and no longer wanted to practice law in that traditional sense so i reached out to my network long before there were things like linkedin and facebook and twitter and the next thing i knew i was on the phone with some folks in in uh, san francisco and then a week or so later i was flying to san francisco to meet with the president of the company and that was 20 plus years ago, here I am now. I've built 1031 exchange companies for a couple of banks. I've been the president of our trade association. So here I am.
0: And now you're an expert and now you get to train our realtors and be a resource of, to them on what this exchange is and how realtors can make the most of it and help their clients too and, and help them really grow their business and excel in this area. So let's kind of just start with the basics for those maybe newer members or those listening who may not be as familiar. What are 1031 exchanges?
1: In a nutshell... What we do is we help businesses and investors who invest in real estate and play monopoly with real property and real money. We help them get from Pennsylvania Avenue to Boardwalk without paying capital gains tax on the sale of Pennsylvania Avenue.
0: And that's kind of really one of the things that's great about this program is that avoidance of the tax. Tell us a little bit more about that and the benefits with that.
1: Well, the tax code essentially says that if you make a dollar whether through your business activities or through selling an asset, you have to pay tax on it. And if you want to not pay tax on it, it's the burden is on you to show why you shouldn't have to pay the tax. If you are selling property that was used by you in your trade or business, for example, you're a construction company and this is where you park your bulldozers and your cranes and such, or if it's a rental property, an investment property, If you sell that and structure the transaction as a 1031 exchange, at the time of sale, you do not have to recognize the capital gains tax at either the state or federal level. Footnote, you do have to recognize it at the state level in Pennsylvania. But this is the Ohio Realtors, so we won't spend a lot of time talking about Pennsylvania. And you also get to not recognize any depreciation recapture taxes. So in a nutshell, your clients would save... 30% 30% or so of the profit by structuring the transaction as a 1031 exchange.
0: Yeah, that's that's huge. And this can really be a way to invest and really build kind of your real estate portfolio. What are some of the benefits of these exchanges kind of um, outside the tax credit and that uh, building your real estate portfolio?
1: Yeah, so the tax savings is really secondary. You don't sell an investment property specifically to not pay taxes, you could not pay taxes by not selling the property. The benefits are you can relocate your property from one side of the county to the other side of the county or in one part of the state to another part of the state or one part of the country to another part of the country. You can also change asset classes. So I'm tired of residential because it's hard to evict tenants in my, in my community uh, or it's a rent controlled property and I no longer want to deal with rent control issues. I can consolidate. Maybe my portfolio over the years has grown to an unmanageable number of properties so I can consolidate down into fewer properties. Or, perhaps as part of some estate planning, I can diversify. Maybe I have one large property but I have six or seven grandchildren and instead of having them all inherit one property, I sell the one big property and I buy the six or seven smaller properties so each of the seven grandchildren can inherit their own. Those are a few of the the simple benefits of a 1031 exchange.
0: And they really benefit and are super important to the economy too. And, and I know that's kind of one of the... Things that realtors we've been tasked with is kind of selling that value and that importance and what it brings to the real estate industry and how um, any repeal or limit of the 1031 exchange could really devastate the commercial real estate sector and the investment in communities. Talk to us a little bit about if there was to be any changes you know, made to this, what would the outcome of that be?
1: It would be devastating for the real estate community. There are numerous studies, both microeconomic and macroeconomic, that talk about the benefits to the economy nationally and to the economy locally. But think for a moment about a simple transaction. If you, Allison, are selling an investment property today, you will have a real estate broker representing you. The buyer will have another broker representing them. After the contract, they will probably have a home inspection done, or if it's a commercial property, they may have other due diligence done, maybe environmental studies, structural studies, engineering studies, and so forth. Surveyor's gonna come out and plot the land to make sure that there are no encroachments, either affirmative against us or or negative against adjoining landowner. So we get through all of that, all of those people get paid in the transaction. As we approach closing, there's going to be title insurance, so the title agency is going to get paid, and, this, and the, the underwriters are going to get paid. And then we'll have attorneys involved to make sure that the contracts say what we want them to say. All of those people would not get paid if you and Allison don't sell that investment property. When you sell the investment property, you would be paying tax at capital gains rates, which are typically lower than ordinary income rates. But if you do sell the property, and I do buy the property, all of those other participants in the transaction got paid as ordinary income, higher rates than your capital gains rates. And oh, by the way, when they got paid, what did they do with that money? They spent it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't sell your property, whether it's a $100,000 property or a $100 million property, all of those other people don't get paid and don't spend the money.
0: This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-license course locations. And too, like the investment in the community, I think is so huge, right? I mean, with some of these properties, like if we're not having individuals investing in them and and using them maybe for some of these 1031 exchanges, like what would that look like for for our communities? Would we see a lot more, you know, vacant buildings? And what would the impact be at the community level?
1: We would see a lot more vacant buildings. We would see buildings not changing hands. We would see buildings not being upgraded. I know people who are very, very active investors, some who do the fix and flip thing, which does not qualify for 1031 exchange, some who buy and do fix and do hold. So they're buying a property that maybe hasn't had any work done to it in 20 or 30 or 40 years. And the first thing they do is go in and spend 10 or 20 or $30,000 or more, depending on the property, to paint it and put on new siding and new windows and new roof and new appliances And now all of a sudden it's a nice property. And if you continue that throughout an entire neighborhood, what you've done is you've stopped the blight.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, without them, we could really see that, you know, go down. And that, you know, I think worries me, too, is the impact that it would have on the community. Why do you think the spotlight's being shown so much on these 1031 exchanges? And maybe could you share a little bit about the threats that there have been recently to them?
1: On 1031 exchanges, comes and goes much much like a, uh, a lighthouse beacon. Uh, it's on and then it's off and then it's on and then it's off. There's a perception that only the wealthy benefit from Section 1031, that only the wealthy have real estate investments. And I can tell you from my own personal clients that that's not entirely true. I've represented clients selling $70,000 and $80,000 inner-city row homes. And yes, I've represented clients selling multiple hundreds of millions of dollar properties. But the majority of the transactions, based on economic studies and and IRS data, are under a million dollars. So that's not the Warren Buffetts of the world. That's not Jeff Bezos. That's you and me. Uh Maybe not you and me, but people we know. Yeah. So perception is that it's the wealthy. Well, we don't have to talk too deep about politics, but there's this drive to have the wealthy pay their fair share, quote-unquote. So how do you do that? Well, you start tightening up perceived loopholes. Well, Section 1031 isn't a loophole. It's there specifically to drive real estate investment transactions and to encourage investment. So the perception is that we should shut down 1031 exchange or, at the very least, curtail it. So during the Obama administration, there were some serious attacks that they were literally going to throw 1031 exchange out the window. They were going to strike every reference to Section 1031 in the entire Internal Revenue Code. NAR and the Federation of Exchange Accommodators, our trade association, and a coalition of about 20 or 30 other associations and corporations lobbied successfully to beat that back. When now President Biden was campaigning, he had a one sentence line in his campaign platform that he wanted to limit Section 1031, but he didn't say what the limits were. When he finally released his blueprint for Build Back Better, it revealed that his plan is to cap Section 1031 so that in any one tax year, any taxpayer could only defer up to $500,000 in gain. So for people like you and me, that's probably not a big deal. If I'm selling a condo around the corner for $400,000 or $300,000 mm-hmm. or $200,000, there's not $500,000 in gain built in that transaction, right? But there are people who we know who are selling million-dollar beach homes that they bought for three seventy-five. And even if they put a hundred into it, that's four seventy-five. They've got five hundred thousand dollars in gain. Mm-hmm. So they would only be able to shelter the first five hundred, and the difference would become taxable under Mr. Biden's plan. Five hundred thousand dollars for an individual, one million dollars for a married couple per calendar year. Well, depending on how active the investor is and what their plans are. Remember the gentleman, if we t- when we talked about the motivations, if I'm consolidating properties. Because I have too many to manage. I could have a dozen properties, each with a hundred thousand dollars in gain in it. Right. If I sell all twelve of them, I'm over the threshold. So I can't consolidate. Not this year, over multiple right. years perhaps.
0: And are there any are you aware of anything out there currently? I know there was a bunch. I was seeing a bunch last year and as I was preparing for the recording today, I was kind of looking back at, at NAR and what kind of they've been Putting out about this, has there been anything recently in 2020 that suggests that anything is going to change in regards to this other than what you just laid out that was in the president's plan?
1: I believe, with every fiber of my being, that NAR, FEA, the Farm Council, SIOR, all of them are going to continue their pressure in Washington to ensure that Section 1031 is not tinkered with. Because the problem is that once you sort of lift the kimono and you add this, this restriction, that really opens up further tinkering with the statute, and nothing good can come of it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you too. I know so much of what realtors are is making sure that voice is strong and that we're able to be in a place where we can defend um, issues and threats that come up, you know, kind of like we're seeing now. So um, we're our voice is strong down in Washington and, and I think it's going to continue to be and I have faith you know, in NAR and, and in all our state and local associations that we're going to do everything we can to like you said, um, keep them protected and make sure that the paws are off <laughs> to uh, these exchanges. We, we've we talked a little bit, you know, about what 1031s are and kind of the complexities of them. But what are the top facts or things to know that realtors should keep in mind when working with
1: them? The first most important fact to keep in mind, from my humble opinion, is that realtors don't need to be experts in Section 1031. They only need to be conversant. They need to understand when 1031 is a possibility and when to call in the expert. And whether they call me or, or some other intermediary that they know, that's okay, but I think it's important that they know that they should not be the ones who are providing all of the information. Nothing good com- can happen if they speak inaccurately. And I hear a lot of inaccuracies in conversation. So that's the first one. The second one I think is to keep in mind that Section 1031 does not mean, well, Section 1031 exchanges are also called like-kind exchanges. Like-kind does not mean that if I'm selling a single-family home, I have to buy another single-family home. That's not what it's all about. Like-kind was far more important when we could handle 1031 exchanges of other assets. So then, for example, I could do a 1031 exchange of construction equipment, but I needed to buy more construction equipment. I had one client once ask me, David, I want to sell a fleet, a part of my fleet of trucks and replace it with one airplane. They're going to go, they're going to take the exact same route. They're going to go from point A to point B, but this way I have one vehicle making one trip instead of 10 vehicles making 10 trips. And unfortunately that wouldn't have qualified, but real estate is real estate is real estate. So those, those are, I think, Two of the most important things to keep in mind. The other thing is that um, the time restrictions are important. They can't be extended. I can't tell you how often clients will call me up and say, hey, I know that the contract says that these are my deadlines, but can I pay you for more time? It's it's not like going to a Broadway show and you can pay them, you know, you, you, know, you didn't have a band come to your backyard party and you're going to pay them for an extra hour or whatever. 45 days to identify, 180 days to acquire. And 180 days is not the same as six months. I can't tell you how often we hear people say, I have six months to replace the property. Six months is not the same thing as 180 days. So that's that's important to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Are there any other requirements? We kind of talked about what you need to know. Are there any other requirements um, of a successful exchange that we want to make sure to mention? Or what does that look like when that exchange is actually happening?
1: Truly successful exchange will comply with those time restrictions. Okay. Along the way, the, the client, the taxpayer, will have used the services of a qualified intermediary because the regulations say that the taxpayer can't have even constructive receipt of the exchange proceeds, which means that at the closing table, the money can't go to the taxpayer. It can't stay simply at the title company in their, in their regular escrow account. The real estate broker can't hold the money. The attorney can't hold the money. It must go to a qualified intermediary. And then they also want to ensure that they trade equal or up in total value. So if you sold a $300,000 investment property, you want to ensure that you're buying a new property worth at least $300,000 and that you reinvest all of the cash. If you trade equal or up in total value and you spend all of the cash and you do all of that within the timelines, you have 99.9% of the battle already won.
0: Yep. That's awesome. That's good to know. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting hearing you talk because I feel like, you know, when you think of 1031s, you think it's this real complicated thing. And, and you know, it can be, but when you break it down, it's really can come down to a few just certain like factors that, that go into this. And I think that that's important to mention. And what advice would you give to realtors who maybe are looking to get started with these or, you know, want to maybe start growing their business with some of these exchanges?
1: So, first, would be contact either me or another qualified intermediary and learn a lot Mm -hmm. it is important when your client is properly positioned for a 1031 exchange to get the intermediary involved calling the intermediary the day before closing doesn't work not in a market like today Mm -hmm. i am aware of intermediaries who will not take a deal if they're getting less than 48 hours notice. I heard of one the other day that won't take a new deal if closing is less than a week before you call them. I'll take the deal, uh, Mm. but the point is that you really need to ensure that you're going to have ample time to get this set up. That's important.
0: Yeah. Don't wait until the last minute. Kind of have a plan and really educate yourself. In addition to you know contacting an intermediary or someone like you, what are some other ways that realtors can kind of up their knowledge on the 1031 exchanges? Are there resources and things out there that exist that can help them kind of educate themselves a little bit more about these types of transactions?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I would think one of the pieces of advice I try to give people is to stop Googling 1031. There's no filter on accuracy or truth on the internet. And I've seen some stuff on the internet that is incredibly valuable. And I've seen some stuff about 1031 exchanges that kind of almost maybe, if you read it right, is almost okay. But some of it's just flat out wrong. So find CE classes, even if they're only uh, electives, or even if they're not even certified for CE. Take the classes offered by a qualified intermediary. Ask a lot of questions. Read the blog, sign up for newsletters from qualified intermediaries. Ask a lot of questions. I'm gonna say that again. You can't ask enough questions. And when I teach, one of the things that I tell folks is I would rather answer 100 quote unquote dumb questions than to find out we didn't answer most important yeah often
0: absolutely and come to your session at convention right you're going to be presenting
1: absolutely
0: (laughs) tell us a little bit about um your session i know it's going to be all about this 1031 exchanges and some of what we discussed here today but tell us what you're going to be speaking for a little bit longer right this is going to be a little bit longer of a presentation i think three hours i think Three hours of CE, so we're going to dive in. That's going to be a lot, <laughs> a lot um, of information, and, and what a great way to get started, or you know, to season up if you if you know this world and you've been involved in these exchanges. What a great way to kind of just brush up on on some of your stuff and learn from you, you know, someone who's super versed in this. So, what can our attendees expect from your CE class this fall?
1: I'm not reading off of a note card. The slides are on the screen behind me just so I make sure I cover things in an appropriate and logical order. It's interactive. I encourage discussion. Um, I do rein things in a little bit if the discussion starts going down a rabbit hole. (laughs) Long periods of time talking about incredibly esoteric, minute little things dealing with your specific transaction that came up when the full moon was aligned with Jupiter in the seventh (laughs) on an odd Tuesday. We will talk about real-life examples. I do give real-life examples. I encourage people to ask questions. I, stay, I show up early, and I stay late. So I'll stay in that room until they kick me out for the next session. And then I'll be down on the convention floor to answer more questions. Um, we talk about real-life examples. I use simple math. I use simple English. I do not talk like a lawyer during these sessions because that turns people off. I'm just another guy. And instead of standing behind a podium or sitting up on a on a on a dais behind a table, I get down on the floor and I walk among the people in the room because I want us to all interact and learn from one another.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a great opportunity, you know, that we're going to have you there in person in just a few months to be sharing this Um Great. I just, I can't emphasize that enough. It's a great opportunity to come learn more about this. It sounds like, you know, you're going to have an amazing session put together for us. And we're super excited to have you. So definitely looking forward to that. David, any last uh, bits of advice, things to know, things to keep in mind, anything that we didn't touch on today before we wrap up?
1: So I talked about like kind doesn't mean single family for single family. I talked about the timelines. I talked about trading equal or up. I talked about call me often. Um, I think the only other thing I would want to say is do your due diligence on the referrals you make to qualified intermediaries. Not every qualified intermediary, despite the name, is as qualified as every other qualified intermediary. So do your due diligence. Uh, Find out how long the company's been in business. Find out how long the person you're speaking with has been in business. Find out what kinds of leadership activities they have in the industry, how much writing they've done, how much speaking they've done, those kinds of things. I think that's important. The same kind of due diligence that you would want people to use in finding you as a real estate agent or broker, you want to use the same thing, do the same thing when when looking for a, a qualified intermediary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, you know, it's good to mention that this could really be a big business builder and a wealth builder, you know, for yourself as a realtor, as well as your clients. Um, any thoughts on that and just kind of the benefits that it can have? We talked about the economic benefits and the community, local benefits, but what about kind of the benefits to the realtors and their clients? It can really ha- be, a, be a big uh, business builder, which is exciting.
1: You just got one side of a real estate transaction. But if you help a client sell a property that's part of a 1031 exchange, there's a second side there. So you've just doubled your income working with the same client. And I'm not going to go too deep into this now, but the people who come to the session will also hear a couple of tips and tricks on how to use Section 1031 exchanges to build more business. I have a couple of slides near the end, at least I'm pretty sure I do, and if they're not there, I'll put them there, on how to... Use 1031 exchanges to attract more clients to mine for listings that aren't even out there yet
0: so exciting Um, so much opportunity with these and thank you so much for this very informative uh, great breakdown of this world of 1031 exchanges I know I have been more enlightened on this and I know all of our listeners that have uh, stayed with us through this episode um, will be too and looking forward to having you um, in Cleveland in just a couple months for our annual convention the 18th through the 21st of September we can't wait to see you there and I know I'm looking forward to your presentation and I know others are too David And um, we can't wait to see you there. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been awesome having you on. Absolutely. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.